This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm your host, Drew Dixon. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. What's up? You're back from uh, the Midwest. Yeah, Indiana. Indiana yeah. is mostly good for driving through. It's barely good for that. <laughs> but, but you uh, grew up there, but you don't like I, it? I did grow up there, and I don't, I don't much like it. My hometown is essentially like a smaller version of Detroit. And like, oh. if so, if you just think of what hap- what's happened in Detroit, like just the depression and factories leaving and shutting down, like it's just kind of a, uh, yeah, it's a barren wasteland. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also a combination. You've watched Parks and Rec. Have you watched Parks and Recreation? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's basically Pawnee, Indiana. Like it's that town. <laughs> okay. As well. That sounds um, fun to visit. Yeah. That's is a fun it? show. Does it sound fun? That's cool. I don't know. In my mind, it is probably not. It's probably like we were talking about Disneyland earlier. It's probably one of those situations. Like in my mind, it'd be really great to visit yeah. as like a cultural experience, but then it's probably. Yeah, it's a cultural experience. All right. That's a way to put it. Yeah. Uh, our special guest is John Warner. Hey, John. Hey, good to be here. Yeah. Good to have you on. And um, people would know you from a couple games that you've produced through Over the Moon, uh, Over the Moon and that's The Fall and The Fall Part 2, Unbound. Anything else that I'm missing that's like in your 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 repertoire that you would mis- mention? <laughs> Not really. Um, I've been floating around the industry for a little while, which I'm sure okay. we'll get into. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing that I would be confident enough to share without extreme embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, wait. Why, let's share the ones that would be embarrassing. That might be. <laughs> yeah, no. I, we we could actually it might be worth a laugh. Um, no, I, I started my career at Relic, which isn't embarrassing at all, and I worked on Company Heroes. And then, um, and then I've been kind of bombing around going indie and then going into debt and then getting a job and getting out mm-hmm. of debt and that kind of stuff. But I actually released a game on Steam, God, I don't even remember, like like maybe eight years ago called Raycatcher, and it has like a 0% user rating right now. Like it's, oh, it's pretty bad. It's still on there. So <laughs> Yeah, so I've been I've been doing it for a while, and I've learned a few hard lessons along the well, way. Well, hey, like a phoenix, you've risen from the ashes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, the ashes are still there. I can still go and look at them anytime <laughs> I want. <laughs> We've started a new thing with uh, through through Love Thy Nerd and Humans of Gaming. So, um, as you know, hu- Humans of Gaming is part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. Um, so, there's another podcast that we have called Free Play, which is really great. I encourage you to go check it out. It's kind of our community podcast, among other things. Um, but one of the things that you can do is if you really believe in what Love Thy Nerd does, if you believe in our mission and, and kind of what we're about, like go, go support us. Um, give us some help. Uh, we give a lot of time to this podcast. We give a lot, we're giving a lot of time right now to building our website and um, our upcoming trip to Gen Con. So all these projects are require, require a lot of human investment. And so we would love it if you partnered with us by helping us out uh, with the recurring donation. And so one of the small bonuses that we give to our members is we say, hey, would you like to come on this podcast and ask one of our cool, interesting guests like John a question? Um, so I know it's, as I say it, it doesn't sound like that big of a, a thing necessarily, but uh, we think it's cool. And yeah, we think I think it's people- cool. Yeah, and we think the people that we have on our guests are super talented and interesting people. And so that's a, a, a benefit of coming on this uh, or, or supporting us. And so one of those people is is uh, with us today, and that's that's Lee Yoakum. Hey, Lee, how are you? Hey, guys, doing good. Glad to be here. This seems like an exciting uh, these are exciting times to be a gamer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. Yeah. And just for the record, Lee has one of my favorite accents of any person ever. Which is a southern right. accent, I guess. I was say, which is like just a, a it, northerner man. that got transplanted to the south and it really, really doesn't know what he's talking, how he's talking. Are you from? <laughs> are you nor- from up north originally? Yeah, I was kind of born in Silver Spring, Maryland. I've kind of grown up here, and so I guess to 
to people that are not from the South, maybe, or, you know, it might sound like, <laughs> oh, he's, he's from Georgia, but like to everybody in Georgia, you know, it's like, oh, you're not from around yeah. here, are you? Like, <laughs> you're an imposter. Uh, oh, I, I yeah. guess I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Fine. I have to I say, it you. is very soft. It's, it's lovely and smooth and silky. It's kind of hypnotizing. Yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna yeah. get lost in lee's uh, accent for the rest of the yeah, podcast let's just do that let's just talk to us lee no um <laughs> i feel like we should uh, mention i feel like this is okay to mention at least so congratulations are in order for lee you've been married for like a month or something uh no not quite may 18th was the the big day so not even a month yeah, yeah like two weeks in you think you'll you'll think you'll stick it out <laughs> yeah yeah you know my my wife sarah uh her and I have known each other for a few years. And when we first met, we weren't even living in the same state. So, you know, it was to get her in the same state and then like, okay, well now let's see, let me get to where I can financially, you know, afford to be <laughs> married. Okay, I got that. Okay, good. Let me ask her. Oh, wait, no, no. Oh, she says, yes. Okay, good. You know I mean? It was just so One many little things to kind of like check off. I was like, wow, now that's done, man. All right. Now the fun part. Well, congrats, man. Thanks. Uh, so, you have a question that you've prepared, I believe, for John. The ball is in your court. Please. Yeah. So um, I've got tons of different games that I play personally, uh, John. I don't. I have a few indie games, um, but I mean, I'm all over the place. VR, non-VR. I like strategy. I like first-person shooters and stuff. But I was kind of interested to, to see uh, being a game developer and having not just made games, but I'm sure you've mixed and mingled with other game developers and other, other people that play roles in other parts of the game making process. What, what trends or aspects of games today uh, that are as far as stuff that you see that's new or that you may not, you know, aspects you might not have seen in older games back in the day. <laughs> Do you see now that you maybe don't like, or that you think maybe, maybe worry you that you're like, Oh, that's maybe the undesirable <laughs> uh, traits of games today that you might not have seen back in the day. Wow. That's a great question. Um, let me think about that for just a second. I mean, the obvious answer right off the bat is the freemium model. Um, <laughs> I think that quite frankly, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to just start running my mouth about it. Of course, because, it's it, it's too simple to just label it as as uh, immoral because mm -hmm. you know uh, consumers less and uh, more and more um, they don't want to pay for games as much as they used to and the the drive that we've seen towards the freemium market I think is largely consumer driven so I don't I don't know what to do about that and I know a lot of people that have gone into freemium games because they they and maybe rightly think that it's the only dependable way to make a living. Um, and then you could say, well, like, I think it's, I think it's reasonable to compare the freemium game design system to, to drug pushing. I don't think that that is <laughs> Ooh, wow. a, a, I don't think that's a ridiculous hyperbole. Um, I, I think that there's a good argument for that, but like, but so, so you could say, well, they're just complicit in, in an immoral behavior. It doesn't matter. Go find another job. But I don't, I don't know if it's really that simple and, and honestly, to be fair, I haven't really played a lot of modern freemium games, so maybe they've gotten better. Um, but I mean, yeah, right off the bat, that's that's low hanging fruit. I would I would point the <laughs> finger at freemium. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I've I've met people that. Um, well, you know, I say I can see that and sort of can't. I mean, you know, I I know the the big subscription model is huge. You know pay for the game, pay for subscription, that kind of thing. Or like you're talking about the freemium yeah. stuff where it's like, we want to give you the first hit for free. I have, uh, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've seen people that, you know, literally can't, right can't afford it's a huge. car. Yeah. Well, they literally can't afford a car to drive or barely have a roof over their head, but boy, they're willing to throw down for a few microtransactions in a game or to pay mm -hmm. for the premium skins. version. Cause the free one just isn't good enough, you know and I mean? That's, mm -hmm. that's rough. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I go back and forth on it too because I think like um, you know there is like a, a slight predatory nature to the way some of them operate. You know, absolutely. Um, well, that's I mean the fundamental design is about it's about predatory. Well, I mean, look if people if people are not willing to drop let's say ten dollars on a game on the app store but you can develop it in a way so that you get your hooks into them and get them addicted and then they'll drop you know 50 or 100 or 200 
I, I think that it is somewhat reasonable to say that that person isn't making, um, let's say, like lucid, calculated financial decisions. Right. They're they're motivated because because a developer's got their hooks into them. So mm-hmm. that's why those that's why those those processes work. I mean, the way I see it, a lot of the time the developers say, "Okay, you guys are not willing to pay a reasonable price for these games, so we will act in a way that is unreasonable because." You know, we know what how you guys make decisions. You make them emotionally, and we're going to we're going to try and elicit that as strongly as we possibly can, and and that's it's effective. I mean, it really works, right? Yeah. yeah. Is there is there a freemium game that's got its like hooks deep into you before that you found yourself like wasting money on? Um, no, I'm kind of a curmudgeon. I like I <laughs> I didn't even get into World of Warcraft when it came out. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of the type of person where I'm like, okay, I want to know what I'm buying up front. I'm not going yeah. to like enter a process that I'm going to enjoy um, at a, to an unknown amount, and you're going to ask me for an unknown amount of money in an unknown time in the future to keep going. You know, it's just it's just like that doesn't sound like healthy boundaries to me financially. Yeah. So I've kind of stepped away from it, but. Um, maybe that's too extreme. Like I might not be being fair either, you know? Sure. I think, yeah. you know, there's, there's games in that model that fall anywhere on the spectrum. You know, I mean, I think there's some that can utilize mm. that not in an abusive way. Like team um, fortress too. Sure. I haven't played it, but I'll trust you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there, there are certainly are games that can fall into that you know, non-abusive category, but it seems like the majority have no problem, uh, you know, borderline abusing their, yeah. their customers. I um, think it's really important to, for, cause I just think that like so few gamers process, uh, what's happening with the way some of these things work. Like, like loot boxes, for instance, are basically, um, like I'm not saying it's wrong to have loot boxes in your game, but it is basically like a, um, what's the word? Gambling. Yeah, it's gambling. Yeah, it's a slot machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you, you know, they, a lot of people get hooked on, like, I know a lot of reasonable people, people that are hooked on Overwatch for those loot boxes. Like, and it sounds so stupid because, I mean, mostly you play Overwatch because the team experience and, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but it, but I, I, I mean, it was a constant thing of conversation with my group of Overwatch people, and I'm just like, I don't like. There's <laughs> lots of great reasons to play and enjoy Overwatch with your friends, but yeah. just I just think, don't make it about those loot boxes. That's not like a, that's not the kind of reward I want to be. What defines my involvement with this hobby, you know? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I mean, it's a trick in a way because I think all games, all game designers could benefit from looking at their product as like, as like elicitors of dopamine or something. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you, you have a, you have a motivational a frame, a goal in the game, and then you have feedback that lets you know as a player that you're getting closer to that. Ooh, my phone. I will hang up. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, yeah, it lets you know that you're getting closer and closer to your goal, and that's what gives you dopamine. Um, and and the developers of these games know it. So, you know, all they do is they just say, okay, well, we're going to put them in the shortest possible dopamine loop we can. So they're hitting buttons and getting coins and flashes and whatever. And then they just simply frustrate that um, that little dopamine loop and ask for a dollar or something like that. And it's yeah. remarkably effective. So. Mm-hmm. But but we can all benefit from that kind of view. I mean, I'm a I, in a way I'm a drug pusher too. I I just make. I mean, if you like the metaphor, and some people don't, but <laughs> you know, I I make things that try and elicit dopamine, and and to the extent that people enjoy my games, I do a good job, and and to the extent that they don't like them, I haven't done a good job. So, sure, yeah. Well, tell us about the the fall, just to give kind of the the pitch of the Cliff Notes version or something, just for you know people that don't know what it is or haven't heard of it yet. Um, yeah, sure. No problem. So basically the, the fall is a narrative driven science fiction game. Um, you play as the artificial intelligence on board this uh, sci-fi futuristic combat suit, you know, much like Cortana and Halo, that kind of uh, trope. 
But mm. the twist is that the guy inside the suit has been injured, so he's unconscious. And it's your job to um, take control of the suit and kind of drag his helpless, unconscious body towards medical help. And along the way, um, you encounter all of these problems that have to do with your, you know, rigid set of rules and operating parameters and and the character starts you know finding little loopholes and circumventing them um like we all do in certain areas of our life and mm-hmm. it's sort of a story about um you know a, like personal development and and uh and and a move out of a very rigid relationship with 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 you know maybe your beliefs or something like that in your life and um and, that, and that's the project really well that's the story part of it anyway yeah. And it's, uh, so it's kind of about like, it's all, I guess it's also kind of about rules and, um, what's appropriate, like how it's appropriate to treat, um, human bodies and in a way, I guess, is that fair to say? Uh, that's interesting. I, I think you could, you could probably say that reasonably. Um, I mean, I think, I think that for me, uh, it's about, it's 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 more about an unreflective relationship to rules. I mean, I think I think any yeah. rule can serve people in in different contexts, but but you know, no set of rules is going to be, you know, complete to the point that that you'll never encounter the boundaries of it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's and what those, it seems like to me, anyway. And encountering those boundaries is pretty important to the game. I think. Right. Like thinking, thinking those through and, and sort of being, being confronted with the limits of those. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So, I mean, basically what the, so the, you could say like the thesis of our studio, if that isn't too pretentious is that we want to um, take um, traditional drama, like storytelling, you know, that's like full of meaning and theme and all this kind of stuff. And we want to add um, interactivity to it. And the way that we do it is we try and make it so that the conflict and the challenge that that players feel while playing our games is in line with the type of conflict that might be at the heart of a of a good movie so that you you actually feel like you're you're engaged with the story as opposed to, you know, um, something like Uncharted, for example, which I love Uncharted. I, I think it's fantastic. But, you know, there's a shooting game and then there's this story about, you know, a family relationships or, or whatever happens to be. But, sure. you know, the conflict, what you're doing as a player really doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing as, you know, in as a, as a viewer of this story. And um, at Over the Moon, what we're trying to do is we're trying to merge them. So we give you, we give the player puzzles that maybe, you know, the, the, the rules imposed on them aren't quite fair or they have to deal with the main character's set of rules directly. Um, so they have to think in a way that hopefully is more congruent with their themes. Yeah. I think those, I mean, at least for me as a player, um, mechanics that are threaded, like uh, mechanics that tell the story, like to me are the most powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're saying a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's games that they're just pure mechanics. Like there's been a few really great examples of, I don't know if you guys have seen or that or your listeners have seen, but there's a wonderful video of this of this lady talking about um, telling her child about about um, what's it, it's called the Western Passage. Pardon me. It's bringing slaves over to North America, mm-hmm. and how they they can't they didn't all survive, of course. So she she gamified this, um, you know, where the kid had to you know, manage resources on a boat and got to the point where, where she realized, Oh my God, not everybody's going to make it. You know, they're going to throw, she has to throw people overboard. And she looked at her mom and was like, did this really happen? And and that was like a teaching moment for this little kid. And that's like, that's, that's amazing. And that's like, that's game mechanics is like, it's like pure mechanics conveying themes. So, right. and that stuff is wonderful, but we don't do that exactly. We don't do like pure systems. We do so far, we've done um, sort of a mix of drama with some challenges that, that I hope are, are in line. Yeah. 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 I, and I think like it's something that maybe people who listen to this podcast may or may not think about a lot, but um but you know, it's the primary way that games communicate. I think is through through interactivity, and so um, yeah. the story of a game, like 
I think a lot of games like work really hard to give us these really great stories. Like Uncharted is a, is a good example of that where I think, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will say like, Oh, I just love the story of Uncharted or at least I hear that. Uh, and I think what they actually love is the, like the bombast of it and the, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Bombast. And like, well maybe also, maybe not the bombast of it, but like the, the little love triangle between, uh, what's his name? And, you know, what's, what Nate, is his yeah. name? Nate. 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 Yeah. So you can tell how invested I am in the uncharted numbers. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but what that game really is about is like, you know, really cool explosive set pieces and shooting guys and jumping off Jeeps and like all that's fun and, and cool and stuff. But, um, but I think like the games that really stand out to me as like, experiences I'm really that are, are really compelling are ones where mm-hmm. the 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 narrative uh, is told through through you know it, it the is centered on the what you're doing the verbs that you as the player are inputting into the system you know yeah I agree do you have a favorite a favorite oh um gosh I've been asked this many times and my my default answer is probably far cry 2. But I don't know if that's. Uh, you gotta come up with a new one. I'm playing it's been like 100 years. I haven't played it. Oh man, it's great. Uh, it's what I, and what I love about it is this really oppressive universe, um, mm-hmm. like world or like game world, um, and everything. Like the game is just against you constantly. So like your gun jams, then you have a bout of malaria, all while you're <laughs> like, I see. You you threw a grenade and it started a a grass fire, like because you missed through it and. <laughs> Um, like it's just so sounds it's this, relaxing. It's this like it's this oppressive <laughs> civil war. This is there's really oppressive civil war going on in this country in Africa that you're in this nameless African nation, and you're just stuck in the middle of it. And there's like nothing good about it. Um, and so what you uh-huh. have to do in that situation is just manage constantly managing chaos. Um, I'm also playing Bloodborne right now, which I think I would say actually kind of. I think that's Man, pretty well too. Bloodborne is amazing. How far have you gotten? Like, you've been like, gushing I, about Bloodborne, <laughs> yeah, dude. It's so good. I, I think all of Fromm's from games, like I didn't like them when I first played them, and yeah, same. I mean, they they're not they're not accessible. That's for damn sure. But after yeah. <laughs> playing them and going online and playing them again and again and again, I I just every time I play it, I love them more. You know? Yeah, and I would say that's kind of the same. Like it's basically the same feel of Bloodborne is it just feels super oppressive. Like this game world is against you in every way. Yeah. Like it's not your friend. Um, (laughs) and I, it's interesting. I love that about it. Like it's constant, like you're, you're learning constantly how to manage the, the oppression and the chaos of the world. I think, uh, (laughs) I've only played dark souls three. I have Mm -hmm. Bloodborne, but I haven't started it yet. And I think there's a certain level of like, this just struck me as you were talking about it. Um, I get immersed because it's so difficult, mm-hmm. right? You know, like it requires so much of me that I can't help but become immersed in it. You know, yeah. like there's some games that they're just so easy. You just kind of check out of it and you just yes. kind of go on autopilot. But I think because, you know, I, like I said, I've only played Dark Souls 3. Like I just... I mean, I had to spend so much mm-hmm. mental energy just to make sure I'm not getting destroyed by a skeleton, let alone the freaking, you know, bosses or, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I love the main gameplay sections between the bonfires. Like when you're mm-hmm. sort of 80% to, a, to the next bonfire and you don't know where it is, but you're out of Estes and you're yeah. trying to decide whether or not you should go back or or forward like that's a great that's a great feeling like there's because there's actual stakes you know yeah and i think i think one of the things dark souls or from has basically taught us is that it's like you know you like punishing players and like putting in elements that just make people feel bad might be necessary because without it there's no such thing as a as actual stakes and we've been i feel like we've been removing that from game design with for good reason you know but yeah yeah, I think I think that's been the mantra up until Dark Souls kind of proved it wrong in a way, maybe. But like the mantra was for a long time was like, give a low barrier to entry to your game, like really good tutorial, and um, 
don't make it too hard because people yeah, lots of auto saving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of auto saving. And now lots everybody's like, how can I make my game more like Dark Souls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very popular. Everybody or, likes Dark Souls. But yeah, and I but I was like, I didn't uh I'd be curious to hear it because you said you really liked Blood. Is that is that what you like most about it? Is that sort of risk reward? Or what, what what drew you to Bloodborne? I'm curious to hear from somebody else who digs it as well. Well, I, what drew me to it originally was I liked Dark Souls okay, and right, yeah. you know these guys who do it. I didn't quite get Bloodborne the first time I played it. Like the, pardon me, I like the combat, um, but I honestly, it's for me all those games are the world building. Like the the world just yeah. feels real, mm-hmm. and and you you have this feeling of just like. Um, I know, like, like the, okay, the first time I played Dark Souls, I was like, oh, it just feels like all this makes sense, and maybe I'll get the, you know, the answers and figure out what all this is about. And then at the end, I didn't get any answers, and I was pissed <laughs> off, and I just threw up my hands, and I was like, oh, this is bullshit, I've been tricked, none of this yeah. makes any sense. And uh, and then I went online in my rage and was like, Dark Souls sucks, and found out <laughs> people that agreed with me. And I started hearing people that made sense of it, and I was like, oh, shit that actually is a pretty compelling yeah. argument. And, and they like people like Vadi Vidya, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but yeah, he makes these dark souls video. You know, he is, he like cross references. It's, it's like a, he has like a bibliography almost for his videos where it's like, here's the item descriptions where it says this. And Jeez. Uh, so people like um, that astound me, man. I could never do that. I just don't <laughs> have the comprehension. Like, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got a lot of time too. Yeah. I do appreciate it though. It. Like it, it um, is amazing how much has been packed into those games that you, that I wouldn't notice on the face of it because of got and guys like that help you see it. Yeah, I agree, and it's it's so full of interesting ideas. I mean, like there's a meme in um, in Bloodborne that like everybody's seen before somewhere, which is like, you know, the 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 use of the life giving technology or a substance that gives us power that we don't understand has the potential to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is in Bloodborne, and it's and it's all over the place. And like the more you spend time with From's games, it's like like I think Dark Souls Three is all about responsibility and about. Um, well, I, I guess I I'm not I'm not sure how to say that cogently, but but you know you you know what I mean. Like you, the worlds mm-hmm. are rich, and you pick up on these interesting themes and motifs that are in them. Yeah, 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 for sure. Dude, I need to go for play sure. Bloodborne now. Oh man, it's so good, dude. It's it's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I was. I, like, think, I think there's a way to. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I put it off for a long time because. I don't know. I was just like afraid of it. <laughs> well, they just gave it away on PlayStation Plus. Like, yeah, I, wow, I missed that too. Ago. Like, I actually bought it at a used bookstore a long time ago. Um, but uh, anyway, um, but what, I, what the thing that I think I've been enjoying the most about it is how rewarding mm-hmm. the world, exploring the world itself is. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it just it's it's pretty scary to me and i guess maybe some people like if you play a lot of horror games it's probably not that scary to you um i do like horror games but they also like take a lot out of me so like like <laughs> sure like amnesia the dark descent um i finished that game <laughs> yeah but like but like it was really hard for me to finish it like i really thought about a lot like i don't think i'm gonna play this anymore and i was like no i gotta push through i can do this um, Dude, i get that yeah it's the same with me with with Bloodborne, and so there's these parts of the world that I'm like, nope, nope, not doing it. Like, it's it <laughs> right. under my skin. It's like this is this is too yeah. scary. Like, uh, or or just an enemy just kind of freaks me out. I'm like, I can't deal with this enemy. I don't even know what to do. So I go the other direction. I, like, turn around and go. And then like, yeah. but as you keep playing mm-hmm. and explore other areas, you sort of like, no, I you you gain confidence like you beat your first boss and you're like oh i can do this now like i can go visit that part of the world that i was terrified to go to before and then then i go yeah. and do it and i'm like oh man this this area is so well designed there's so many interesting um aspects to it i'm uncovering like little pictures of this world through environmental storytelling of, of what this world's about on it it just feels so like well realized i guess that I want to unpack it. And then like, it's so, so um, scary to me to unpack that when I finally like get over some of those humps, it, it just has, it's an amazing dopamine kick, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah. you. Yeah. I agree. I think it's incredible. I it's, I mean, they, I think they've really tapped into a 
fundamental layer of, of human psychology because I mean, dark souls is about, you know, like linking, linking the fire, which is, which is this idea of like, you know, you have a civilization that was once great and you, then everybody's forgotten it. Like it's apocalyptic. So you go into, you know, into the darkness, um, which, you know, on a ritual that you don't even understand why it is that you're doing it, but you're compelled to do it. And, and it's by like, you know, it's by coming, uh, coming to know the area that you sort of slowly become, uh, actually understand what the world that you're in and, and, and what, what exactly you're supposed to do and what happened and, and what all this stuff means and how it's connected. And, and you start being able to like, you know, go through the world in a way that's safe. So you kind of master it. And, and it's, I think, I think that is like a, I mean, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think that's almost like an archetype, like a, like a Jungian archetype, like yeah. this break, like going out and bringing light into the darkness is, is, is such an interesting, compelling idea. And like the, the needing to master your environments and know where all the enemies are to, to feel that's a, that's another thing I think that is very human or something. I, yeah. I'm not sure I, if that's, well, you know, it's but. interesting. Like it makes me think of, um, of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, and I think of, that, oh, so. I think of that because probably because I come from that perspective, like I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, the Bible begins with this story where God tells Adam and Eve in the garden, like um, be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. Um, there's a lot of debate amongst like theologians and stuff about what it means to subdue the earth. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a blood kind of thing, like slay every monster. <laughs> <laughs> right, but i i think it's a i think it's a more responsible um stewardship that's how i view it um yeah but but there is something about about games like bloodborne um or dark souls or, or whatever that it's about learning to have a the ability to responsibly engage with the world um or to safely sure. safely engage with it, and there is something very. I think there, yeah, I think you're right. There's something like innately human about us that, mm-hmm. or innate, there, or something about being human where we want to like step into a space and bring order, and and yeah, and you got it. Kind of like master it, as it were. Yeah, well, I mean, whatever interpretation you have on that passage, I mean, you can't. You, I mean, whether you're going to be responsible or destroy something or whatever, you can't do that unless you you can make sense out of it. And that seems to be what human beings do. We, we try and understand our world and make sense of it and, and, you know, explore every little part of it and come to know it so that at the very least we can avoid getting eaten by predators. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's probably a good segue to ask you. About, <laughs> about if we don't segue you. now, Drew will not stop. Bloodborne. We will keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. With me, me, get me started about bloodborne or, or hotline Miami. I'll, won't yeah, shut it's up. over. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. So, where did you grow up, and what was that like? I grew up in um, British Columbia, Canada, in a small city, sort of in the interior of BC, um, called Penticton. Um, How and, small are we talking? Uh, you know, I don't have a good head for cities. Um, I don't know what I could compare it to. Uh, if you're curious, Google Penticton population, <laughs> those numbers wouldn't even mean anything to me, yeah. but, um, it's, I mean, it's not too small, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to have a panic attack and I need to get out of here small. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I certainly wanted to move to the city when I was a little bit older and figure out if I could start my life making video games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in a small sort of like bedroom community, like a suburb basically outside of Penticton. So there wasn't a whole lot to do, um, and I was socially awkward and afraid of women and all this stuff. So I, I spent a lot of time on my computer um, playing games, and then eventually I found out that you could make levels for Quake, and I lost my <laughs> mind. I was like, "Are you kidding me? You could like video games aren't just like I don't even like I didn't even have a conceptualization of how they got made. I just kind of assumed it was magic or something." <laughs> like that. Yeah. So I figured, oh my god, you can make these things, and then uh, and then the rest is history. I just kind of went OCD on it, and that was back when I was like thirteen, basically. Yeah. Do you made some quake levels at thirteen? Oh, damn right I did, <laughs> and they were bad. <laughs> they were like, I tried to make some like quake levels and and some quake movies. Remember back there was that whole yeah. thing that was going around. I just have this vision of you at like thirteen, like having this, um, like 
dream to send one of your levels to John Romero or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> that would be great. It's too bad that's not part of your story. But uh, did, uh, was religion a part of that? Did you like grow up in a church or what was your family like? Um, no, not really. I grew up. Um, so we, I kind of, we did grow up in the United Church, okay. um, is which that? is. So that's a Canadian institution, and I'm pretty sure I don't know much about Christian, but but I Christians, but I think it's I think it's Lutheran. Okay, um, right. It's sort of it's so very Protestant it's like it's denomination. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, it's Protestant. Yeah, and it's and it's quite progressive, as as they would say, and and I think it's like a combination of Lutheran and something else. Hence the term United. Mm. Okay. Um, and yeah, we would go to Sunday school every morning, and or sorry, every Sunday morning anyway. Um, and I didn't get anything out of it. I was just bored out of my mind and yearning to go back home and, and play video games. <laughs> and, uh, I don't, you know, my, my parents are not religious. My mom, my mom, I don't even know what she believed at the time, but she kind of felt like she wanted her kids to have something like some kind of religious structure upbringing. Yeah. yeah. And my dad was sort of this, my dad's a very passive man. He's a great man, but he's quite passive. Um, he was, he's like an atheist and, and kind of was like, what is this stuff doesn't really make any sense and kind of undermined it. And, and when I got a little bit older, I kind of decided for myself, I was, I wasn't getting anything out of it. And, and I was, I was done with religion and, and we just kind of stopped going. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I basically, as just because I'm on the subject, I now, I would say I identify as an atheist, but, um, that's difficult because when you talk about Christianity and religion, there's so many different facets to it. I mean, you know, I live, for example, in a Christian culture and the mm-hmm. culture is, you know, the culture came out of Christian, uh, you know, like, like my grandmother's ovaries were Christian. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we have this, we have this ancient structure of, 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 of Christianity. And, and even yeah. before that, you could even trace it back to, to Egypt and, and earlier on, it's like, culture and belief has been developing for thousands of years and and so too has you know rational thought has just sort of like appeared all of a sudden hey we have like scientific revolution and then we can look at that and say oh well hey i'm an atheist well that doesn't feel like accurate to me it's it's like it's it's like okay fine yeah if i like cut history at like you know 200 years ago and say oh that's you know at when when the western enlightenment started or whenever it was then i can say well i'm an atheist but um so lately i've been kind of actually kind of thinking myself as a christian atheist um (laughs) even though that's sort of a contradiction in terms um but anyway i I feel like that sometimes (laughs) yeah are you do you identify as a Sorry, Drew, I know you're Christian. Chris, are yeah. you an atheist? No, no, I'm Christian. Um, I think, though, I've been certainly in this period of, in my life where I'm really deconstructing a lot of things that I was just kind of told to me and I never really thought more about. Um, right, that's and fine. So, and I think everybody kind of should go through that period at some point. Maybe some people don't. But um, – no, I guess more what I mean is that I think there's just a there's always an element of doubt no matter where you land, um, atheist or not. I mean, I think even atheists probably have doubt about their atheism. Um, so, well, sure, yeah, and also there's a funny thing that atheists do that I haven't heard many of them caught to, which is um, I, I think it's true that we all live inside of a story. I think I think that fundamentally the fundamental human experience is religious in nature. So like atheists, for example, and I count myself among them have, have a, have a orienting um, narrative that says that it's the, it's the sane, rational exploration of the natural world that will create, you know, maybe you could say a healthy life or prevent you from dying or, or whatever, but I don't think there's any rational justification for that. I mean, I mean, you can look at, yeah, the last few hundred years and say, okay, well, we've created unprecedented wealth and that's certainly valid, but we might also destroy ourselves. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I would say the jury's out. And anyway, right. We so might destroy ourselves that. fighting over that wealth too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know well, I, sure. I appreciate John, what you were saying earlier about just, I mean, I think this is what you were saying. If I'm hearing it right, it's just about the influence that Christianity has had over the years. And I think, mm-hmm. um, we, it's just refreshing to hear 
hear someone say that because I, I feel often, you know, atheists um, or people that kind of are in that camp just disregard that or don't think about that or have been hurt too much by that to, to want to think about it. But I think it is like we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't think about the influence that it has had for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think it's refreshing to hear you say that for sure. Well, cheers. Yeah. And it's my pleasure. And I mean, honestly, most people have a really simplistic conceptualization of culture and cultural structure. I mean, you know, the three of us are having a polite conversation right now and, and there are rules to that. You know, I speak and then you guys listen, but I don't speak too long because then I'm just being megalomaniacal and (laughs) egotistical. And so, you know, if you look at, at social interaction, it's, it's extraordinarily complicated. And, and these, these are behaviors and patterns that were built inside a a Christian structure. Mm. And, and, you know, to atheist credit, you know, they, they could probably be decoupled from that Christian structure. I don't, I don't know if a belief in God is required for me to, to treat, you know, for us to treat one another with respect. In fact, I don't think it is, but, um, but certainly just to pretend like, you know, we were in trees and then all of a sudden, you know, the enlightenment happened. And then, then it's like, Oh, I'm an atheist. Now (laughs) everything that came before me was bullshit and corrupt. It's like, no, it's just clearly insufficient. You know, this, uh, this kind of makes me think about what you were talking with, uh, with the fall, you know, your games and just this kind of, there's a lot more gray than people want to admit. And there's yeah. a lot more balance that needs to be had and a lot more rules that probably need to be broken or what we think of our rules. And um, I don't know why it just made me kind of think of that just the way you were talking about the fall and, you know, how it's kind of questioned mm. some of those things. Um, I think Christians, atheists, Buddhists, all these different, you know, categories of people, we cling to these black and white kind of things when there's just so much more gray than we're comfortable dealing with probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I agree. And that's why it's so important that we just, you know, try and treat each other with some degree of civility yeah. and, and talk to one another, you know? Yeah. Where does that come? So like, as a, I'm curious, like as a, as an atheist, where does that come from for you? Like a drive to, um, yeah, to, to be civil and, uh, you know, and, 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 and like your games seem to have a moral sensibility to them to me. I've actually not played part two, but I have played part one quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Fair enough. But uh, I'm, 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 I've not played part two because I want to play part one more um, before I, <laughs> I feel like that might be important, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just curious, like, where does that come from? And you seem to have, to want to say something about morality with your games I think there's this perception amongst like Christians that atheists don't care about morality, which I don't think is true <laughs> at all. So yeah, I'm just curious of like, oh yeah, what what drives you to to make games and and do something with with a with a moral sensibility behind it? Yeah, sure, good question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think that like Christianity has certainly like served as a as a moral backbone for our culture, but I don't think that. Well, I'm not a developmental psychologist, so I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you like where ethics begin, but I suspect that, I mean, look, I I got friends that have got two year olds, right. Mm -hmm. And, and, or or even younger infants and, and, you know, a baby, as far as I can tell comes in. Sorry. I got one of those, an infant. (laughs) Oh, right. Of course. Right. (laughs) Right. So, so as you're well aware there, I mean, a little baby comes into the world and it's, and it's almost like a little sociopath. I mean, it, it wants what it wants. It has no conceptualization that there's anything outside of that, and it expects that it should have its need met immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and of course that doesn't work, and so they cry. And uh, and you know that's a really funny way of looking at it. I find because <laughs> I, I really feel like babies are like are like crying about the human exist like a human existence or something like that like every baby is like crying about like the like the i mean honestly if you like the christian metaphor you could say the fall i mean that's kind of what they're crying about in a way Mm. um so but but anyway so I, i digress but like i i think that a lot of ethics and morality just comes out of out of look that doesn't work i have to um build a, a an identity and, and a set of behavior that is that is 
that works with everybody else in my life that gets their needs met. And as you get older, you start realizing, oh my God, like not only is this like some, it's not some zero sum game where I, you know, I get not, I get everything and you guys miss out or something, but like you can actually develop games with people where like you can, you can actually uplift each other and make each other's lives better. And maybe by you getting what you need, not only are you, do you get what you need, but I get maybe what I need even more or, or we both get yeah. more or something like that. And, mm-hmm. And I would say that's literally what civilization is, and and like it or not, Christianity ha- and and um, Islam and all these other different um, belief systems they have created a, a social structure that ha- that have allowed people to do exactly that. So um, I think I think to some extent that like the, the that complex social dynamic is sort of um, I I, th- I think it almost speaks for itself and. And I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. Like so, a, a big sorry. I don't know if I'm ranting too much, but one of the things that's asked about uh, the Christian atheist debate is is something like, uh, you know, if you don't believe in God or a higher power, then then what's to prevent you from um, from sinning or or doing all this kind of stuff? And and I would say, well, I I can't function as a human being and be happy unless I'm existing in a in a social structure that that functions in a way that gets my needs met and and helps the people mm. around me and i think that's i think that's honestly it's very technical but i would say that's a good of an argument for ethics as you're ever going to find mm-hmm. would you describe your, i'm curious would you describe yourself as a humanist i suppose so you know i never really looked into that definition so i i really don't know much about what humanism is or what it means enlighten me uh, well, now you're throwing it back at me. So I feel like I'm probably going to give, <laughs> I, I don't think of myself this way. So I'm probably going to give a bad example, but I do think, I guess I think of, we've had a few people on this podcast before that did describe themselves that way. And, and they tend, not every humanist, would, I don't suppose they're a Christian humanist. Uh, but I think it's mm. this, this idea that, uh, um, you know, we can, uh, human beings can um, collectively like come together to make the world better. I think is probably the simplest definition. Like we can, um, and and a lot of, a lot of times it is atheistic in that, like, I think a lot of society, the more atheist type humanists would say a lot of society's ills come from religion. And so like, if we'll just see how great man is and we can shake off God and our, sort of like, um, you know, misconception. Now I'm building a straw man, so I need to stop. But um, I'm not Mm. not intentionally building a straw man. I understand why people would think that way. Um, I get it. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, um, but I think, I think there's something um, I appreciate about humanists just in that, like that optimism that I think is um, something that I share with some humanists as a Christian. Like I think, my Christian worldview has given me like a more optimistic view of the world. Maybe than maybe than some people have, um, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds good. I'd like to think that. Yeah. I, I like that. Maybe attitude. it's not, <laughs> but <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, the idea that things can work out if we have a positive attitude and act on the world as if we can make it better, seems like a, seems like a good yeah. way of living. Mm-hmm. So, amen. I mean, that's better than, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, in terms of whether or not we can throw away, like there's this, there definitely is a thing that I disagree with in a lot of atheists or humanists, if you, if you want to call it movements, which is like, we can, we can discard where we've come from. And, and I mean, I'm not, I mean, maybe it's possible, um, but if it's possible, it's, it's, it's much more complicated than I think most people give it credit for. Like, like for example, I'm not going to go off on a big rant, but there's so I'm particularly interested in developmental psychology, and the the um, there's a stage of development that is that is normally associated with fundamentalist religious types, which is like absolutely unreflective um, adherence to some type of conformist structure, mm-hmm. um, and, and and this actually is is a necessary developmental stage in in human psychology, and I can't cite papers but but i've read that i've read that i've read the research and it seems pretty convincing to me and this is this is somewhat disturbing because 
It means that everybody goes through it and some people stop at it. We don't know why. And it's never just going to go away. Like we can't just wish that like, oh, I just wish that America didn't have a conservative, you know, religious base. It's like, okay, we'll keep wishing. I mean, you can shake your head at this. You can shake your fist at this guy, but like, you know. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's super important for us to sort of be aware of. Um, Cause I think too, for me, um, I don't know that I'm going that I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily deconstructing um, things that I believe like Chris mentioned earlier, but maybe to a degree, I guess, but I, I have sort of been a, a, as an adult sort of, um, confronted with some of the more like super simple interpretations of Christianity, sure. um, which I actually do think are kind of, um, some of them can be super, um, not helpful for people. Like they can be destructive. Like if your view of Christianity mm. is so simple that it's just like, well, um, like you either believe, the Bible or you don't, or you either believe like Jesus is the, um, you know, is the son of God or you don't. Uh, and, and that's, that, that's it. That's all that Christianity is about. It has nothing to do with like, um, like loving your neighbor or, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying nobody actually would say that there's like, there, there's no Christian that would say it doesn't matter if you love your neighbor, but they have simplified, like, I believe it, I'm going to heaven. So that's kind of, that's that's good enough for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, to me, it's mean, so sure. much more. There's so much more to it than that. Um, and uh, like, if that's all that it is to me, if if it's just like, oh, I, I believe Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. That's it. Like, that's a really, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like boring <laughs> gospel. <Lame>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I hear you, man. So. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm honestly like they it's a stereotype that you get more conservative when you go get older and it's certainly happening to me, but I mean one of the, like okay, so it sounds like you're you're a pretty self-reflective guy and you certainly have a commitment to being decent, but whatever it is that you're doing and whatever your belief structure is, it isn't simple and it's not something like like one of the critiques that's like people think that they can critique things and that that they're somehow their their critique like is exhaustive it's like oh i've made a few critiques about christianity therefore like i i've encompassed it entirely so i can say oh that's unhealthy let's throw it away and it's like it's so that way of operating is just so thoughtless Mm -hmm. yeah god knows how to like parse these different beliefs apart like how would i even evaluate like somebody that's more fundamentalist like i don't know i don't really know any like not really i haven't seen how they live their life or what that's resting on or or how many people in their community are dependent on them being that way. It's just, it's just, it's just unfathomable in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a part of some churches. I think that leaned that way. Um, yeah, but, but probably not the, like, probably not ones that where people just depended on that completely. So I don't know that I could speak to it, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I do think when you, I do think that there's some, yeah, I just think, I guess, as I get older, I think it's really important to sort of weigh out, like, um, I don't know. I have a lot more value. I, I'm starting to ramble. I have a lot more value for new, uh, or I value nuance a lot more than I used to, I guess. Um, and I'm not mm, so happy mm. with, like, the super simplistic um, definitions of things as I used to be. Hey, I love it, man. Well, I mean, to use another Christian metaphor, it's like God himself could not make a garden so perfectly walled that a snake <laughs> couldn't get in, you know? <laughs> now you've opened up a can uh, of worms. Can uh, of snakes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, it just speaks to why it's important to, you know, stay open, yeah. I sure. guess. Yeah. I think the greatest yeah, I mean, thing missing that would solve a lot of this is just humility. Just, uh, I appreciate Mm. so much, you know, this is something I've had to learn the hard way because I've acted like an ass too many times, uh, is to just, man, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all in the same boat trying to figure this thing out. And I think if we could all just admit that and admit that we, none of us know what the hell we're doing. Um, 
man, we would have a lot more fruitful conversations, I think. And we'd probably figure some stuff out. Agreed. Well, tell, Word, tell us about, uh, we're kind of running out of time here. I do want to like, give you a chance to tell us more about your your latest game because the Fall Part 2 Unbound came out back in February. Um, recently came out, both of your games, Part 1 and Part 2, recently came out on the mm-hmm. Switch, which is exciting for me because that's like the most convenient mm-hmm. way for me to play games these I'll days. Say it, I've said it once, uh, I'll say it again. I need I, every game on the Switch, every game. <laughs> yeah so uh part two i'm really excited to get to it because it's like tonally uh as i've like watched um like the your trailer and like kind of looked into the game a little bit like it just feels um like you're doing some really interesting things with it so yeah tell us give us like the quick pit quick pitch about the new game Right. Well, thank you. And, and I think we are too, uh, of course. But the Fall Part 2 is a fair bit more complicated than the Fall Part 1, I think. Um, we haven't connected – we've connected with some like so, some of our audience and we've gotten some really good reviews. But it's also been more spotty. Um, so some people have not connected with it, but some people really, really, really have. Um, and the Fall Part 2 basically uh, is, is picks up where the Fall Part 1 left off, which is our protagonist is now um, – has now, uh, I don't want to spoil part one exactly, but, but basically has, has, is, is sort of free from her, 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 um, constructs, her rules and, and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, and, and the fall part one, the part two is we want to sort of open up her world and, and explore expose her to to different things because as 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 her self conceptualization grows um that needs to in- include more things than just a rigid you know set of rules or something like that so she has to find ways of of relating to other people and and their limitations you know it's like so she's you know she's like free now so she's transcended her stuff but you know other people are not and and they've everybody's got all kinds of different boundaries and and and, you know, she still has some limitations as well, of course, in her personality. And and the fall part, too, in, in a large part, is sort of um, about the, the chaos that ensues when your relationship to other people is not even remotely healthy. Um, so, so you know, you're basically you're attacked at the beginning of the game um, and you're you're injected with this this um, this dark force that that compels arid that's the protagonist to make her own rule for herself that she made for herself and she decides that she's going to find out who's attacking her and, and hunt him down and she goes and she projects her consciousness into these other robots but they of course have their own goals and their ideas of what they want to do and she has got to find a way of basically um you know uh getting them to to help her and um and the 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 game deals with like you know interpersonal you know, boundary violation and and some of the ethics surrounding that and and like you know ideological thinking and you know arid gets more and more obsessed and um black and white sort of adhere to her own mm-hmm. rule that she made for herself um and yeah, there, so there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I could rant about it, and I might actually. I'm thinking about putting it together oh, cool. a developer commentary quite soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, but if if you're the type of person who who likes to, you know, likes those that story sounds interesting, or you like to poke with those kind of ideas, you yeah. probably enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. I'm really excited to get to it uh, here pretty soon. So um, yeah, definitely go check that out. You can get it on Steam. Uh, as we mentioned, Switch. Are there other platforms I'm missing? Is it on? It's on PS4, Xbox One, and a few other PC like good old games. It's on. It's on Humble. Nice. It's all over cool. the place. And uh, both games are on PS4 and Xbox as well. In addition, okay. Yes, nice. sir. Cool. Great. Well, definitely go check that out. Um, what's sometimes I like to ask developers this: What's the best way for them to buy the game if they just like you and want to support you and want you to get more of the money? <laughs> Oh, well, that's a lovely question. I honestly, we don't have like a humble widget or something like that on our website. Um, just for simplicity's sake, I, I, I suppose I probably should. But everybody, all the stores give me the same deal. So buy it where you want to play it and, and have fun. Uh, that's what matters to me anyway, really. Just buy it where you want nice. to play it. Cool. Perfect. Uh, and then if people want to follow you, are you on Twitter or uh, 
We are indeed. I am at uh, Over the Moon GMS cool. on Twitter. Great. And uh, anywhere else online that you would you would push people to? Uh, not really. I mean, we're on um, we're on Facebook. If they go to OverTheMoonGames.com, they can see our social media okay, links cool. and follow us where they Great. want. I, I sometimes tweet. I'm not a big tweeter, yeah. but it's a scary world sometimes. <laughs> you know. The world of uh, tweeting. Oh yes. my god! Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta be careful. Uh, and Chris, yeah. you're not on Twitter. No, I mean I am, but you're know. gonna be really bored if you follow Warns. me because I haven't been on there since Warns. like 2012. That could be fun to see what 2012 Chris. I don't is recommend about. it. Uh, somebody look that up and get back to me. Let me know. Because uh, I don't even really know Chris's Twitter. He's mentioned it before. C.L. Gwaltney. At C.L. Gwaltney. Okay. I'm going to go. Go follow me, Drew. Check it out. Or it might be fun to have somebody else be like, here's what Chris, 2012 Chris was about. Um, but uh, I'm DrewDixon82 on Twitter. Um, go check out Humans of Gaming on Facebook. Just search for Humans of Gaming. Actually, if you just type in humansofgaming.com right now, it will, by the time this comes out, you might be able to go to humansofgaming.com. We're working really hard on our website. By the time this comes out, our website may be up and running, which would be awesome. Uh, but go check out uh, Humans of Gaming on Facebook. Uh, you can join our community there. Uh, we have a really great Facebook community that's really fun to be a part of. Uh, and um, what else? Um, missing some things here. Free play podcast. Humans of gaming is part of the greater love thy nerd podcast network. Um, Matt and Bubba and Kate do a fantastic job with free play. It's super fun to listen to. Um, in some ways it's kind of the opposite of this show. Like it's just easy and fun and they don't, they sometimes get into heavy stuff, but anyway, it's not as heavy. <laughs> hey, that was a lot of fun. It's not as yeah. heavy as this podcast. Is sometimes They're funnier than us too. Yeah, they're funny. That's true. <laughs> Definitely true. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks so much, John, for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you.